Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. Is reckoning the wrong word to assign to what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean... I've been trying to use really boring language on purpose just so I didn't get anything thrown back at me for a year. And also tried, tried to be less verbose. That's hard for me. Yeah, less verbose. Uh, hosts overnight here on The Score. I love his show. Always dipping into the Wayback Machine. And this hour that's brought to you by the Wayback Inn. How about that? It's Matt Spiegel here on Hit and Run, broadcasting to you live from the Hyundai Studios. And uh, I am here until noon, broadcasting live, by the way, from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Mark Grody's on after me at noon. Mark Potash will join him at 1. John Paul Morosi will join Mark Grody at 2. But before that, let's listen to Theo Epstein with our Lawrence Holmes the other day, Friday, right here on The Score. They began by talking about the upcoming season and whether we would actually indeed have one or not based on both the pandemic and the state of negotiations in Major League Baseball. Yeah, well, we're, you know, we're all hopeful and confident that we'll have a season. What it looks like in terms of structure and format will obviously depend on, on the result of these negotiations that, that we hope um, you know, end as soon as possible and, and we can all transition into playing. But you know, as far as what it'll look like, I think we all have to prepare and fans have to prepare for it to, to look a little bit different um, the way almost everything is going to look a little bit different. And, and you know, players are going to be wearing masks at all times except when they're on the field. They're going to be socially distanced. Um, you know, even in the dugout, there's, there's not going to be um, as much time spent indoors preparing for games. There's, there's, there's going to be some things that they – simple things that you're used to seeing on the field that they're not going to be able to do. But I think, I think the right perspective to take on it and it's something that we're all learning to do in, in almost every uh, aspect of our life is to maybe not compare it to what we've been used to um, because that's a losing proposition and you end up seeing the negatives. Um, if you do that, if you play that game and mentally and instead to, to look at it as, you know, an opportunity to, to, to craft something new in a, in a difficult time, craft something that will have, um, won't be the same, but will have meaning and substance and will resonate with, with a lot of people in an important way and to sort of embrace the, the new challenging landscape and try to try to make something beautiful out of it. And I think that's what the, the players are going to do and hopefully the whole institution of baseball can do and put on a really good product for, for the fans because they certainly – deserve it this is uh this is the most challenging year probably most of us have, have been through so 
to be able to deliver something redeeming for people would be something that we're all proud of. Theo, I know you take a lot of pride in the relationship that you build with players. Obviously, you're the president of the Cubs, so there's the connection to ownership as well. How does one go about straddling the line when there's negotiations like this going on where it can sometimes look contentious for those of us that are looking at it from the outside? How do you have to to walk that line? That's a good question. You know, during negotiations like this, and they usually take place – out of the you know out of the spotlight right now everyone is unfortunately getting a look at how the sausage is made and, and it's not always pretty um, especially in this case so it's unfortunate we wish we were just focusing on playing ball but um, when, when those types of negotiations happen it's really you know it's a select group at the commissioner's office and and, and the upper tier of the of the union um, and and they're they're player executive council they're really most involved obviously this communication down through the ranks on both sides but um i feel like a lot of people in the game um stay in communication and, and talk about the issues and it doesn't become completely partisan you know it's not as if either side has to toe the party line that there's more an open open engagement on the issues and especially you know, if you've built up trusting relationships you can talk about these issues if you have developed some, you know, the skill of empathy. Um, then you can have productive conversations on these topics with with, with with folks on the other side or with folks from different perspective perspectives. Um, and it doesn't have to become, you know, pure lobbying or persuasion or or adversarial in, in any way. So I think I think you're seeing a lot of that across the game. I mean. 99.9% of people in this game, including me, are, are you know, feel kind of as spectators in this and, and just eager to, to get back on the field. And that's, I think that's where the players are coming from, too. And obviously there are important issues at stake, and it's very complicated. I'm not trying to minimize the discussions at all, but um, it's, not as if, it's not as if, you know, everyone in the game is dug in on one side or, or another. Um, we know that there are negotiations going on, and... Um, you know, we hope for a resolution that's best for the game of baseball going forward. That's all. It's clear that George Floyd's death has affected us as a nation. The, the, the global globalizing of his death has affected all of us. Specifically, it seems to very much affected you and the way that people respond to it affected you. How did it affect you? Well, I think you're right. I think it's affected all of us and that this really feels like an inflection point um, in our country and in, in our country's history. And, and that, you know, it feels different than other um, galvanizing moments in the past that have seemed like they were the start, uh, the beginnings of a movement and then have died off as, as our sort of collective attention span dissipates. Um you know, I don't know. I, I've talked to a lot of people about why this one feels different or carrying so much weight. I, I do think, you know, perhaps the fact that um, with the pandemic, everyone was home with their families, uh, consuming the news. Um, the videotaped evidence in this case is, you know, so so stark and undeniable and so tragic and senseless um, that 
there's no rationalizing it. There's no explaining it away. And there's no averting your eyes either. There's no turning away from this. And, and there's no turning away from the fact that this is not, you know, a one-time event. It's, this is the type of thing that we're now seeing periodically. And I was following, um, it's not, it's not just, you know, police brutality either. I was following the Ahmed Arbery case really closely as, as well. And, and obviously Brianna Pat Taylor and, all the other cases. So it's just undeniably um, uh, a pattern at this point and something that's um, systemic and, and institutionalized. And, and so, um, you know, it's moved a lot of people and sometimes you don't know how to react. You don't know what to do. And, and uh, that's why I think protest is, is so important. So you know, there's always one person who, who protests first and then, others who follow and, and then it becomes a movement and then it becomes, uh, there, there becomes real momentum. So, you know, seeing people, um, take to the streets and, and, and seeing people, um, stand up and seeing people raise their voice, it, it, it does create a, a real momentum in, in the country. And I think what it does is it causes people to take a fresh look at the way things are because the, the status quo can you know as horrible as it might be as unjust as it might be as much institutionalized racism as it might um uh have in it the status quo is easy to tolerate sometimes you know because we get so caught up in our own lives and the way things are that um you sometimes don't even recognize it you know kareem abdul jabbar said um that you know, institutionalized racism can be like like dust particles in the air, where you don't even see it. It's all around you, but you don't even see it. And then a little bit of light comes into the room, and you realize it's everywhere. Well, I, you know, I think that's what that's what you know the the early reaction to the, to the George Floyd murder did for a lot of people is it let a little bit a little bit of light into the room, and so. You know, you do take take a moment to look around you with a fresh perspective, with new light in the room, and you, and you realize, you know, th- this is a time to do something because it's everywhere. And um, so the people in the streets are very, very inspirational. You know, I had a chance to ride my bike down to, to one of the rallies last week, and, you know, one thing you notice right away is it's, it's people um, – of all races, people of all ages. These protests are happening all over the country, not just in big cities, uh, but in rural areas, in the Rust Belt, the Bible Belt, all over, coast to coast. And, and then you notice that the, the young faces around you are the ones who are the most colorblind. You know, and this next generation really has it figured out. Um, it's, it's on us to help pave a better path for them. And, and, and if we can't, um, to get out of their way. You know, because they are they are creating a more just future for this country, and so it's up to each of us if we want to be part of it. I think when all of us try to figure some of this stuff out, and we're talking with Theo Epstein here on the score, we're we're all looking at it as a, a big problem. What impressed me with you in particular is that you looked, you were introspective in how it was impacting you and how it was impacting the game. So when it came time for you to look at hiring process the structure of the way that the the cubs are built in a front office standpoint what were the things that made you kind of take notice and say perhaps we can find a different way to do things 
Yeah, well, I think you know those are the I think the, the, the best things you can do initially is 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 listen and then look look inside and look inward and look at your own situation and you know for me as a, as a leader in, uh, of this organization and and in baseball operations you have to look at your own decision making and examine that and see if perhaps you know you have your own. Um, you know, unconscious biases that, that exist. And, and, you know, as a leader, uh, all leaders, whether they, they like it or not, or whether it's intentional or not, they shape the culture around them. And so the, the environment of an organization is, is there in the makeup of an organization, the demographics of an organization, is the responsibility of every leader, whether, you know, whether they like it or not, if you're being honest with yourself, um, you can impact that. You can take control of it your own decision-making, the culture that you help set um, def- defines the environment of the, or- of the organization. So, um, you know, if you look at, at the Cubs, for example, um, you know, we don't have a representative number of African-American employees, you know, especially for a team in a city like Chicago, but we just don't. And we might be up to major league averages in those areas, but, but that's nowhere near good enough. And that's part of the problem is that as you know, now you look a little bit more broadly beyond the Cubs and you look at major league baseball and, and our numbers aren't, aren't nearly good enough. You know, we have two African-American heads of baseball operation, two African-American managers, the percentage of scouts, the percentage of front office people, they just all fall well short, not to mention, you know, the, uh, the, the, the percentage of African-American players in the game, is under 8% now. So, you know, that, that stuff doesn't happen by, by accident. Again, it's, these issues are institutionalized at this point. They're systemic. They're, as I said earlier, they're, they're everywhere, um, whether you can see them or not. And there's a lot of unconscious bias that goes on. So I just looked at my own decision-making and, you know, I've hired, I've, I've hired a lot of, you know, African-American people and, and, and people from all different races and backgrounds, but, you know, if if I'm being honest with myself and in my time at the Cubs, I said it the other day, I'm not um, afraid to, to say it again. Like what, you know, th- there've been a lot of key decisions where I end up hiring someone who looks like me or with a similar background as me. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's a default for a lot of people uh, and a dangerous default because you end up falling back on the comfort of the familiar, um, and, 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 and when you when you do that, you don't end up with a diverse enough organization. You do that, you don't end up with diversity of perspective or experience or opinion as well, and, and, and you can't be quite as effective that way. So I just thought um, that needed to be said because I thought if I called myself out on it, maybe it would um, just for a split second also have you know cause others in baseball to take a look inside as well at their own unconscious biases to see if they're there and see if see if you know collectively we take a moment and and try to change i really love that you and kenny williams are connected on this initiative and that was one of the people that that you reached out to because i mean his background you know how he grew up is really important to this and i feel like your approach and and the way that he goes about things i think it makes for a, a dynamite combination and i'm glad to see that there have been that baseball as a whole has kind of jumped in on this. So, so where do you think this goes from here inside baseball? Yeah, I think you know the 
the symbolic gesture we made at the draft with the 30 baseball decision makers holding up the placards that said Black Lives Matter matters and, and United for Change, and then the donation that we made ended up totaling with the matching over a million dollars to five racial justice organizations. That was a really important step, but just the first step. Um, and it, that's something that we all acknowledge. I'm really proud of the group of, of 30 heads of baseball operations. It's hard to get this group to agree on anything. Uh, everyone's in different different circumstances within their own organization and at different points in their careers, but everybody was willing to stand up and make, make that statement. Um, and, and so in recognizing that as the first step, I think we all, we also, we all agreed to, to look, uh, to listen, first of all, listen to our players, listen to our coworkers with different backgrounds and different perspectives than us. Then to look inward and examine whether there are things we can do better um, such as try to identify and then eliminate uh, the, the unconscious biases we have when it comes to, to hiring, for example. And then that there's plenty, uh, plenty of action items that we can uh, that we can work on within the game. Um, you know, there are there are some great programs already in place that we can support. There's a diversity fellowship through Major League Baseball. There's uh, they've done terrific work with uh, the Urban Youth Academies and the RBI programs, but usually those have been somewhat um, separate from baseball operations. And we have, you know, huge baseball operations infrastructures that can support these programs. It doesn't necessarily need to fall to, you know, the community relations programs to to do that. But more more than anything, I think it's uh, you know st- standing up, speaking out. And, and being willing to listen, being willing to have the uncomfortable conversations, um, and, and, and that attitude will be reflected in our decision making. It, it'll be the pursuit of justice. If we can all keep that at the forefront, racial justice, if we can keep that at the forefront of our minds, will be reflected in the environments that we create within our organization as leaders. And, and then uh, it'll be created. It'll be reflected in the clubhouse too. You know, it's been really disturbing and powerful to hear some of the best players in the game who are African-American speak up recently about being uncomfortable in their own clubhouses. And that, that's something that we have to all in the game take take responsibility for and try to change. I think that starts with, with our attitudes and it starts with getting, as Kareem said, getting us out in the light so we can all see it and fix it. This has obviously been a fairly heavy interview. I, I would like to lighten it up because I think everyone in Chicago was ecstatic when they saw that your organization drafted Ed Howard. So what was it about Ed Howard that that convinced you that he's someone that you want inside that Cubs organization? Well, the first thing, I think you start with the human being. And you know, anytime you're, you're taking a chance on, on a high school kid in the first round, you want somebody that you can trust and somebody um, – with, with character and with work ethic and with maturity because it's a long road from being a high school senior to being an impact player in the big leagues. And um, our scouts did a tremendous job getting to know Ed. He's, he's one of the most mature high school seniors we've ever been around. Um, he's got some of the highest character we've ever been around. His parents did a phenomenal job in, in raising him. Beyond his parents, he's been you know part of some great institutions in the city um, you know, from the Jackie Robinson West uh, Little League program, which I've been proud to 
support through my foundation since 2013 to the White Sox ACE program, which is tremendous work, um, to, to Mount Carmel and their great coaching staff and support system there. So, and Ed has been smart enough to take advantage of, uh, of all those resources and, and the village around him and put it to good use with, with unparalleled work ethic um, to get to the point where he is today. So that was the first thing is trusting the person. And that was a slam dunk. That was a huge, huge asset that Ed brings to the table. And then, you know, this is a, this is a potentially really, really dynamic player and someone we've known for a long time. Obviously, you know, he was, uh, came onto the radar screen back in, in uh, 2013, 2014 with the Jackie Robinson West team and the League World Series, got to meet him back then when he came to Wrigley. And then, even as a high school and soft, uh, as a high school sophomore, he came high school sophomore. He was out on the field with us for our pre-draft workout, playing shortstop against high school seniors, um, taking ground balls with high school seniors and, and, and college juniors. And he stood out. He was the best shortstop on the field that day as a high school sophomore. So he's been on our radio screen a long time. And our scouts just did a great job tracking his progress. And, you know, defensively, he's extremely advanced, great feet, great hands, strong throwing arm, playmaking ability, uh, terrific athlete, very projectable frame. Uh, he's got he's 6'2", and uh, has, has the type of body that we think is going to add strength without losing athleticism as, as he matures. And then offensively, while – um, like almost every other high school senior, he's got work to do um, with his swing and his approach going forward as he adds strength. He already hits the ball really hard. You know, it, it, he doesn't necessarily have you know, huge natural launch angle yet, but that, that's going to come. He's going to learn to get the ball in the air. He's going to learn to get a little bit more direct with his pass, but he already hits the ball really hard, and um, that bodes well for what he can be with uh, a few small adjustments and this natural development time. So, you know, you got a guy who can stick at a premium position, probably, you know, has a chance to be a plus defender at a premium position, is a great athlete uh, who already hits the ball hard, has a lot of, you know, charisma, intelligence, and, and the kind of character and work ethic that you want to invest in. So we're thrilled that he was there at our pick. That's Theo Epstein with Lawrence Holmes right there on 670 The Score. Texters uh, speaks a couple weeks ago. I texted that Theo should run for MLB commissioner. The more I listen to the man, I wish he would run for president. I realize he doesn't have any political experience that I'm aware of, but neither did Trump. I'm starting it now. Theo for president. Long been discussed and rumored that Theo might go into politics when he's done. Who knows? Um, these are, he's a very smart, thoughtful guy and uh, His foundation has been doing a lot of work. He mentioned in there the foundation to be named later that he and his twin brother Paul have been a part of, have sponsored programs like Jackie Robinson West and lots of other um, inner city disadvantaged youth programs, bringing all sorts of resources to them in both Chicago and in Boston for the last 18 years. It is 670 The Score. I am Matt Spiegel, and this is Hit and Run. We will update you on the state of negotiations. Um, Hint, they're not good. And we'll let one of the most likable players in baseball give you his uh, comparison for the situation as he's the dad and his baby wants something to drink. You'll hear that, among other things, next 
And then our man Chris Kamka will tie the room together at around 1140. It's hit and run up until noon on the score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Yeah, I think there's definitely optimism. Any Anytime proposals are going back and forth, like I've said before, that's a good thing. It's unfortunate that the, the proposals that we've seen from the league have just been uh, basically the same thing, packaged in different ways. But I think everyone heard last night, uh, Commissioner said, Said that they would be sending another one that would you know, hopefully move the needle a little bit more. So I, I'm hopeful that we get to a place that we're playing more than 48 or 50 games that you know, the MLB and the commissioner has the right to mandate. So hopefully we're looking at something closer to, to half a season where we feel like um, players are, are playing enough games and fans are getting baseball in their lives. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel Sunday mornings on The Score. That's Ian Happ, who has showcased a very firm understanding of the situation. Over the past couple of months, he's been doing a podcast from his temporary home out there in Arizona and been on with Dan Bernstein every week right here on 670 The Score Thursdays. And it's been good, thoughtful stuff. A couple things in there. Um, He said, it's a good thing as long as proposals are going back and forth. Well, more on that in a moment. Um, he also says hopefully more than the 48 or 50 games that the uh, owners, that the commissioner can mandate. Well, more on that in a moment. But let's get to Andrew McCutcheon, because when Ian says that what the owners have provided is the same offer dressed up in some different ways. Yeah, he's not wrong about that at all. The three different offers that the owner owners have presented have been really depressing because little things change, language changes, percentage of playoff money they might share changes. What doesn't change is the openness. There's no openness at all. None of the documentation that the players asked for has been given. And what doesn't change is the, uh, is the fact that they're asking the players to take less than their prorated salary. They're asking for that. Players are not willing to offer that. But here's Andrew McCutcheon in a video. Just imagine he's holding up at first a sippy cup and talking to an off-screen baby. All right, but listen, if you potty on the toilet, I'll get you some juice. Yay! Yay, juice! All right, buddy. Here's your water. No, I want juice! What about water in this cup? No juice! I know we agreed on juice. But what about water? What about water in a bottle? No juice! What about water in a coffee mug? You love your coffee mugs. No juice! Look, it doesn't matter that we agreed on juice. I'm your dad, and you're drinking water. 
Now, either you drink this water or you don't drink anything at all. Who's thirsty? Sandra McCutcheon. Water, water, water. We agreed on juice. I know we agreed on juice, but here's water. And that's the way the players are going to see it. Flat out, just like that. Who's thirsty? I am. Color me thirsty. Thirsty for baseball. Tried to make some metaphors this morning. Some tweets. Got yelled at by some people. So it goes. See, here's the thing. I genuinely am angry at both sides. It is definitely more on the owners. Would you say it's 70-30 owners and players? Maybe even 80-20. Maybe some of you out there think it's 90-10. If anybody out there thinks it's 100 and 0 I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. So, look, it is definitely more on the owners. And they have negotiated in bad faith. They've thrown these three offers in a row that have been the same. But there was language in the agreement that says if there are no fans, we can reassess because they're not making any money from the fans, not making any money on tickets, any money on beer and all of that stuff. That's how they operate day to day and do their thing. Should they take 100% of the loss in a year like this, in a shortened year like this? If you think that's a yes, I understand. I understand. I, I know so many people, too many people who have taken pay cuts, even for a limited time, three-month pay cut, four-month pay cut, that a complete unwillingness to even talk about that and deal with that strikes me as unnecessarily stubborn. And it's a stubbornness that we're seeing from the players that is based on losing year after year after year in these negotiations. Every time they come up, it's based on losing. Now they don't want to lose. So we can't even get a short-term agreement together. These sides can't even both bend, both think, thoughtfully discuss, come to an agreement for a short, short time for each other. They did it in March. Made a deal through the end of May. That was nice. Now we're nowhere. And that money that the players got through the end of May was less than they might have made had they been playing, obviously, through May. But they weren't playing. They weren't playing at all. Just It just got closed down. Go home. We'll pay you. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like being in this position where people think I'm just defending billionaires. And I'm not. Or bootlicking. I'm just telling you that I genuinely believe that, that both sides could have done better over these past few weeks. I'll say 80-20 on the owners. 70-30 is originally where I was. The more I've thought about it, 80-20. I got no problem saying that 20. If you do, I, I, I think you're being unnecessarily uh, binary about it. It's usually not how these things go. There are a few different polls out there we did one uh hit and run who are you mad at players owners both right now a couple hundred votes in got 55 percent for the owners five percent for the players 40 percent for both yeah it's about where i am 80 20 so that's what that's owners are included in the both so that's about 95 5 i guess that's what that is now it's 57 for the owners, 38. It's still 95-5. Players only get five. 
It's fine. I get it. I hate it. It's a terrible moment that just continues to go on and on and on. And the entire situation shows you just how broken the relationship is between owners and the Players Association. It's been broken and awful for a long, long time, and it remains broken. And, you know, if you were going to get openness, then maybe you could have had a bit of revenue sharing for a short-term year like this. All right, let's just split and agree that this has nothing to do with next year's CBA, but we'll come back in this weird year and just split revenue. By the way, show us everything. If the owners had been willing to do that, show the players some stuff, then we could have had some openness. But they don't want to show them because they're making more. It's just so gross. And it's nothing that I wished we were talking about. We could be looking at a month here where there could be spring training and will not be. A month. Talk about maybe a spring training beginning on the 15th of of July, going for three weeks, and we get rolling around August 1. Today's the 14th. We're looking at a month of complete and utter inactivity. Is that what we're looking at? Very possibly. Because players have pushed away from the table and owners have threatened them and basically challenged them to push away from the table. And that's where we stand. We'll see if they even bother to talk this week. Mark Grody is up at the top of the hour. He will be joined by Mark Potash. I'll be joined by John Morosi. Me, I'm Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. I'll be joined by Chris Kampka next, right here on 670 The Score. Who's thirsty? Welcome back in on 670 The Score. Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Wrapping up the show like we usually do, talking a little baseball with our friend. A smile trapped inside a brain, trapped inside a rainbow, or wrapped inside a brain and a rainbow. I don't know. You're all three of those things, according to our buddy Jason Benetti. And we welcome in Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. Right now on the Alpamani Ford hotline, Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. What's up, Chris? How are you? Well, good. Somebody wake up Benetti so we can clarify what I am. <laughs> There's so many reasons to wake up Benetti today. But I enjoyed leaving him a voicemail live on the air with Casper. I think uh, if I were Benetti, I'd, I'd, I would like nothing more to than to hear those two voices when I wake up sometime around one thirty. I was particularly amused by that exchange because then Len drops the Edwin Jackson um, comp. Yes. With Kevin Bacon, and with, yes. evidently, as it turns out, Edwin Jackson is uh, was born on the exact same day as Jason Benetti. So I, I jotted that down, which is pretty fun. Wow, Th- think about that. So Benetti, I feel like is obviously he's in the the middle of his career, but I have to say he's really just kind of at the beginning. Len, in fact, called him one of the best young broadcasters. In the business, and Edwin Jackson, I think of the grizzled old veteran who's played for everybody, and they're born in the same day and year, or just same day? In the same day and year. Unbelievable. Uh, and I told Jason this, and um, I kind of like mentioned it to him during the broadcast, that uh, 
He was born on the day the White Sox hit back-to-back-to-back home runs for the first time in franchise history. I'm like, they were destined to do that. So uh, that's a little fun fact. (laughs) A little fun fact pretty much describes the the entirety of of what you have within your head and bring to the show. Well, sure, because I have to do it on behalf of others because there was nothing notable that happened on a Major League Diamond on February 25th. So I have to kind of you know, do them for other people because I was born in the winter. You, uh, you had one of my favorite tweets of the, uh, uh, of the day yesterday, and I retweeted it, and I'm looking for it now, and it is uh, this. Well, it, from, it was ruined, I think. Why? Well, uh, well, thinking of the right one. It says, you're going to win 18, you're going to lose 18. It's what you do with those other 12 that really matters. That's uh... well, yeah, and, and now that the season's supposedly going to be at least fifty games, that's no longer good. So oh, kind yeah. of ruined it. Not that I'm rooting for fewer games. I'm please, please by all means have more. But I mean, give me give me a season that at least if a player started a hitting streak and had a hit every single game, that he had a chance to break Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak record. Because in a forty-eight game rec season, you can't do it. Yeah, right. I mean, just, and think make, about this. With, yeah. with a 48-game season, if a player hit one home run in every single game, that would be a record, but he'd be 25 home runs short of the major league record for home runs in a season. Oh, God. Still. So, I mean, come on, please. Let's get some more games in there, please. 25 home runs short. Goodness. Yeah. Um, speaking of that. Long gone summer on tonight. You're going to be tuning in to watch uh, Sosa and McGuire uh, and, uh, and and that whole chase and, and re-familiarize uh, yourself with the, the context of the season. I am, because that was fun, and we yeah. need fun. Yes. Uh, you just forget how great these guys were hitting home runs. Forget about everything else. They energized the entire nation. And uh, I, I enjoy keeping track of that every day. And I imagine how much fun that would be today where everybody can kind of get together and put their comments up in real time about it. Mm. Um, not, not write postcards to each other like whatever we did in 98. Um, <laughs> a couple fun Sosa fun facts that I've put together here. Um, so, Gary Bonds has the most home runs in the major league season. It's 73 in 2001. Um, the most home runs over a two-year span is Mark McGuire with 135. Um, and McGuire has a three-year run, too, with 193 um, and four. So McGuire has the number, uh, two, three, and four season span. Um, but Sammy Sosa has the most home runs over a five-year span with 292. Sosa wow. also holds the record for a six, seven, eight, nine, and ten-year span. Wow. So that's that's how long he went once he hit that peak and prime. He went that long, um, over 60 twice in that span, right? He did uh, three, three times. In fact, three he's times. the only player with three 60 homer seasons. God. And, and the fun thing is, so over a five-year span, over that five-year span, we had 292 home runs, which is the most over a five-year span. He hit 63 times, and he won two home run titles. But not in any of the 60 home run seasons. He won the home run title in 2050. And he won a home run title in 2002 with 49. So the three seasons he did hit 60, he did not lead the league. And the two seasons he did not, did lead the league, which is weird. Yeah, that is weird. That, that, that is weird. So in those other years, 
was one of them one of them Bonds and one of them was McGuire and who else led in, well, in McGuire, McGuire and Bonds. McGuire, McGuire and Bonds outdistancing Sammy in all three of the seasons that he hit sixty plus. God, that's crazy. Three seasons of sixty plus is just freaking bananas. Uh, Camp, I grew up with one of my favorite trivia questions being the five guys to hit 50 or more homers in a season twice. And it was Fox and Willie Mays and Mantle and um, Ralph, uh, Ralph Kiner and Babe Ruth. Those were the yeah. five. Those were the five. And that was it for a while there. Hank Greenberg at 58, never, never again. George Foster at 52, never again. Cecil Fielder got into the 50s, uh, never again. You know, like those kind of, it, it was rarefied special air. And now that has been just completely obliterated by that era. I, I wonder how many people have hit 50 or more in a season twice now. 13, 14, something like that. Well, I mean, I can find that answer in just a second here, but yeah, I mean, it's um, it's crazy how the home run thing has exploded. Um, it's just you know, fifty home runs used to be a thing, and now really not so much anymore. And you know, it's 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 tough to deal with when when your standards are not what they used to be by the end uh, nine nine players yes. and it's fifty home runs multiple seasons. So you had the five you mentioned as well as Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa. So nine. So we're at nine right now. And Pete Alonso at 53 in his rookie years, so he could do it. And, yeah. and I think Stanton and Judge are two guys that, you know, if healthy, they, they are the best home run hitters in the game. So, you know, they can do it as well. But especially now with the juice ball. So, yeah. you know, now's the time for home runs. It's a good, good time to revisit uh, home run hitting craziness. So I'm looking forward to this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, quick draft note, by the way. I yes, please. This down. Yes, please. Okay. So in 1979, the White Sox in the 25th round drafted the first baseman out of Proviso West named Len Casper. <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled the same way, too. <laughs> and, and I can assure you out there that it's not the same Len Casper or else he'd be the youngest drafted player ever. Did he, did he, is he aware of that? Have you shared that with him, by the way? He's got to know. know. I don't know if I've ever told him that, but yeah, it's one of my fun little facts. Of course, the White Sox draft him. He's a local guy, so yeah. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> that That is tremendous. And then who drafted Benetti? Who who, who drafted nope. Jason Benetti? Have there been any MLB Benettis? Probably not. No, and I checked. Oh, so yeah. no, but none, none even drafted. Uh. Because, I mean, if I'm going to look up the Casper thing, i got to find Benetti. Couldn't do it. <laughs> hey, I saw you tweet a picture this week. You said, good mail day. A good day for mail, meaning the U.S. Post Office. And just stacks and piles and packs of cards. My God, what were those from, Chris Kampka? Well, those are actually nine Carlton Fisk cards that I do not own. So that's wow. rare because that's, you know, I have a huge collection. And there's not many that, that I don't have. So if I find them, they're special, and it's cool to find them. Wow. So those were nine specific Fisk or cards. Ten, ten of them, actually. Yeah. Ten. And so now, are, are you fairly complete on your Carlton Fisk card collection now? Not even not even close. I mean, it's as many as they make nowadays, it's impossible. Yeah. But at least I like to chip away at it. It's, it's one of those things, like, I'm an obsessive collector. i got to have everything. 
and, and, and there's always a challenge to find something new. And that's, I think that's the fun of being an obsessive collector. Mm. That the, the chase of finding something you don't have or you've never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's what that's all about. Sickness, I don't recommend it. <laughs> uh, Texture says that Sammy Sosa also holds the record for the most hat sizes in a five-year period. That, 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 that may be true, although, although Bonds is the one whose head really grew and grew and grew, but maybe, maybe Sammy's did as well. I, I'm not I think Bonds, yeah, I think bon, I would go Bonds over Sosa on that one. <laughs> but, I mean, I watched the, um, the last game at Old Comiskey a few days ago, and Sosa was in that lineup. Oh, my goodness. It's not even recognizable. No, it's a different it's a different human being, right? So we uh, got to get to this good comp, bad comp for this week. Yes, please. Yeah, the good comp, bad comp this week is Randy Johnson. Um, I likened Randy Johnson to the Washington Monument, um, and Jason Minetti likened him to the Great Gatsby. Your thoughts, Chris Campco? Oh man, I, I tried. I kept trying to wrap my head around my own comp, and I just couldn't do it. Hmm. Um, and it's weird that that you picked the Washington Monument because he. He had one start, one game in his entire career in Washington. So it's kind of, you know. Hmm. But I will still, I'll give it to you, though. I'll give you Washington Monument because I just, I just, non, uh, fiction books just don't appeal to me. So that, that's how I'm going to go. I'm going to score it. Spiegel wins this one. Washington Monument. Um, your, nice. your reasoning was pretty sound. Right? So I, yeah, you're up to one. Str- uh, woohoo! Struggled with control early on, and the monument struggled for on hold for 23 years because people were struggling to control the society. And then killing the birds—that was it. That's where I got it—a bushel full of dead birds killed by the monument on a daily basis. Yeah, it's, it's nice, nice work. I congratulate Janet. By the way, did you know that a thing during the early 19th century uh, or late 19th century, early 20th century, was players would get to the top of the Washington Monument and drop balls down, and then a major league catcher would have to catch them. Wow. And that was a thing that they did. I, like, did not, I did not know that. See? Yeah, several major league catchers tried to do the trick of catching a ball dropped from the top of the Washington Monument. See, this is what, this is what you add, and I should have had you add to good comp, bad comp, as I was writing. Chris Kampke, you're the best. We got a roll. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks for having me. He's the best. He's Chris Kampka at CKampka on Twitter. A must follow. Thank you to him. Thank you to Len Casper. Thank you to Jason Bonetti in absentia. Thank you to Bruce Levine. And uh, thank you so much to Sean Anderson, who does a great job producing the show each and every week. Mark Grody is up next. I'm in tomorrow uh, with Zach Zaidman and Ron Coomer will be with us for about an hour as well. Tonight, right after Long Gone Summer. It'll be uh, Bruce Levine with Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer. That's tonight at the very end of the documentary. So make sure you tune right over to 670 The Score, where they will be taking your calls. All right, everybody. Have a great day. See you soon. Who's thirsty? We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.